carpet design. Every Saturday from 10 to 3, take 20% off on flooring in the warehouse. Large selection too, free estimates, 643 Riverside Street, carpet design. This is Patrick Sucker with Harker Mellinger, LLC. Since 1983, Harker Mellinger has been the leading accounting firm in Sheridan. We are here to help you succeed in your business and provide services which are customized to meet your financial needs and allow you to spend more time managing your business. Call today to see how we can provide you with cost-effective solutions. Harker Mellinger, 672-0785 in Sheridan. The Wyo Performing Arts and Education Center welcomes Grammy Award-winning artist Larry Mitchell to the Wyo stage Saturday, April 1st at 7 p.m. Larry's toured the world playing with well-known artists Tracy Chapman, Billy Squire, and Rick Okasek. Opening for him at the Wyo will be award-winning singer-songwriter Randy Driscoll. Just kiss me. Before. Tickets for Larry Mitchell available now at the Wild Theater box office or online at wildtheater.com. Effective marketing campaign can be a game changer for your business. Hi, this is Bob Grammons with Sheridan Media. Let us customize a marketing plan for your business using up to nine different radio stations. Place your print ad in front of 18,000 households in Sheridan and Johnson County in the Country Bounty or market your business worldwide through a variety of digital products that we offer. SheridanMedia.com received over 8 million page views this past year and served over 58 million ad impressions. That means your business will have the opportunity to be seen by a vast number of potential customers. Don't wait any longer on an incredible opportunity to grow your business and reach new customers using radio, print, and digital. Let's tell your story, whether locally or across the country. SheridanMedia.com. 672-7421 or email sales at sharedamedia.com. Sharedamedia is an employee-owned company. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. Now, the roads are slick out there, but the last time I checked, they were still open. You might want to check uh, once again before you take to the freeway. Uh, they may close sometime during this day, but I can tell you that I made it over. And this morning I am joined by the president of the Whitney Benefits Board, Roy Garber, and the author of The History of Whitney Benefits and Solace in Numbers, the biography of Edward A. Whitney, Mr. Sam Western. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. Now, uh, how, how was your trip up to us? Uh, I, I know it snowed quite a bit since I got here this morning. Uh, was it all right getting up that hill? No, oh, it was kind of slick, but, you know, 
Welcome to the second day of spring in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Uh, we go into spring, and uh, uh, around here, spring doesn't start for probably another month, I'd probably guess. Well, now, like it or not. Yeah, like it or not, uh, it's it's the winter is still here with us. Now, Mr. Garber, how are things going out at Whitney? Doing very well. Uh, uh, very pleased, as you know. Of course, we have a new executive director, and she's uh, working hard, uh, getting established, uh, making contacts in the community. And uh, looking forward to projects uh, coming up this spring. So things are going very well. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, how's she liking it, uh, being at the, the top there? Well, I think she's uh, quite comfortable with it and enjoying it. Uh, uh, like she said a while back, a few weeks ago, you know, uh, it isn't all going to fall in place in uh, six weeks. It's going to take a while. But she's doing great. And, and the the uh, Whitney feels we're good where we're at right now and moving forward. A That's lot of fantastic. things on the horizon coming up. So we That's feel fantastic. Good. Uh, now, uh, Mr. Western, um, how many uh, other books have you written or biographies besides these two? Well, in 2002, I wrote a book called Pushed Off the Mountain, Sold on the River, Wyoming's Search for Its Soul, which remarkably is still in print. And uh, I actually have a follow-up to that volume, which is going to be printed by the University of Kansas Press next year. Um, I've also, I have sort of ghostwritten, as you were, <clears throat> uh, I, the biography of Don Roberts, who uh, for years uh, was a real solid citizen in this community and on in the Whitney Foundation, Whitney Board. And I also uh, wrote the biography of uh, Ambassador Tom Strook, who was our ambassador to Guatemala and uh, was from Casper. He asked me to write his biography for him. Oh, wow. Now, out of, out of these two books, The History of Whitney Benefits and Solace in Numbers, the biography of Edward A. Whitney, which one came first? Uh, the first thing that uh, the, the former chair, uh, Tom Kinison, wanted me to do was write The History of Whitney Benefits. Um, but we right away, almost, we said, this is going to be two books. So they, they weren't written simultaneously, uh, but they were pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Getting into that, uh, the first one you realized we got to tell a story that's, well, it's, yeah, it's events don't make history. People make history. And so I was, and, and Mr. Whitney was such a curious subject. I mean, for an economic historian, it was just who could resist in a way. Yeah. Yeah, his generosity was Indeed. unheard of. Yeah. Now, uh, so your inspiration to, to write this, you were actually asked. I was asked, and also about 30 years ago, I was asked by an editor up in Montana uh, to write uh, a, a, an article or a chapter in a book uh, about Whitney about what had happened. Their decision had just come down. So Tom Kinison read this, and then we started having serious conversations, and one thing led to another, and so started started on these projects. Now, when it comes to writing a book uh, or books like these, uh, you're obviously very experienced in this process. Walk us through that. What is our first step if, if I am looking to write a book like a biography about someone, even locally? Well, the first thing you want to do is, is see if you can gather every bit of research possible on, on the individual. And uh, that wasn't necessarily easy for Mr. Whitney because he was an 
introvert uh, and a bit of an eccentric, didn't like to be photographed. Uh, and uh, he, he did, he kept a lot of material, but you, you sort of learn, you had to be like a cryptologist. You had to read this and say, what, what does he really mean? You know, because he was very careful about what he left behind. Did he write in metaphors? He didn't write in metaphors, but for example, uh, you know, I heard that he had been to Alaska, up in Ala- to Alaska, and I couldn't find any documentation that he'd been to Alaska. But one day I was looking at his record book where he personal expenses and wedged in this teeny, teeny print, like about eight prints, says, trip to Alaska, $641. That's the only That's evidence it. that And I didn't have. see that to the third or fourth time I read it. So you just had to be careful. You had to be thorough. Um, and then uh, I was really lucky because I started saying, what about his family? Where did he come from, et cetera? And I just, on a whim, I knew that he had served in the Civil War and that he had served in a certain regiment from Massachusetts. And so I wrote the Massachusetts uh, Civil War Society and said, do you have any records or, of letters from this person? No, but there's another Whitney in here, and that was Mr. Whitney's cousin. And he and his cousin served together. Oh, wow. So it was a gold mine. I really got to find out more about E.A. Whitney and his youth. But that's just for... a for a historian, that's just a gold mine. Yeah, yeah. Someone else writing about him. And right. And the person was very, he was an excellent writer, very lucid, uh, incredibly intelligent. Whitney came from a family of scholars. Uh, and his cousin was no different. His cousin had just graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary. And wow. he was a very, he was, he was a, he was a fine writer indeed. What, uh, what did Whitney do in the war? Whitney worked as a quartermaster sergeant, which was a non-commissioned position, and it was perfect for him because this man liked order. He liked keeping things in place. He liked keeping track of things. It must have just been the ideal position for him. Absolutely. I've got a brother in logistics to this day, and, and he's just so analytical with his numbers. Everything is accounted for, uh, even in his personal life, very good with his money. Uh, very fiscally responsible, yeah. and and he just fits in well. And it sounds like a kindred spirit to Mr. Whitney here. Um, now, when we're looking for information uh, about uh, local individuals like this, where did you start? Uh, is it the Whitney benefits that had had the majority of this information hidden away, or were you able to find this in, like, our public libraries? Well, Whitney had a fair amount of... Uh uh, information had to go back to the earliest records, but just Whitney benefits doesn't didn't wasn't really established until 1927, ten years after M- Whitney's death. So those records were sort of scarce about Mr. Whitney himself. Um, the the Wyoming room at the Fulmer Library, the staff was fabulous, uh, and then I started going through newspapers of places where w- Mr. Whitney formerly lived, and they were also very helpful. Uh, you know, I remember calling someone in Miles City who had the papers of a famous boarding house in Miles City. And I said, do you have any record of Mr. Whitney showing up around this date? Took 30 seconds. Oh, wow. He had it on his computer. 
So those are little things that little you find out about an individual. Yeah. But just do just do basic research. And and really, it's almost as if you're like a private investigator. You've exactly. got to track every step of this yes. person. Or for a person who was pretty private. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, someone who wanted to keep that under wraps. Well, he did. Uh, It was also interesting, uh, when I came on the board, we had about two pages of information about Mr. Whitney and his life. Half of it was wrong. And it really wasn't until uh, we, uh, one day we got a call from the YMCA, which where we'd had a meeting room, and they said, hey, are you guys going to come over here and get Mr. Whitney's trunk? And we said, "Uh, what trunk? We didn't know. I mean, the, the board at the time had, it had, We'd lost track of it. And so we went over and got the trunk and, and brought it over to the office. And at that point in time, uh, Mary Ellen McWilliams, who's done a lot of history, was on our board. And she was there, and they opened the trunk. And And I think really that was kind of the emphasis of what then went on to have Sam write the book. That was the first time that we really had information we'd never seen before. And that really, we went through it, and Mary Ellen looked at it and said, you know, this is more than... I can put together. She had done, she had done a lot of work on her board and we had more information from her than we'd ever had before. But it was the trunk that kind of, uh, the information in that trunk is what inspired us to move towards Sam and, and have him move forward. We need, we need a professional in here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, what, how did the YMCA get a hold of that trunk? Well, it, that was a, the Whitney board had, uh, uh, for a period of time, had contributed to the Y and had helped build one of the rooms at the Y. And there was a room there in Mr. Whitney's name. His desk was there, and it was our meeting room for many years. So having no other place to put it at the moment, that's where somebody had stored it when we had uh, been there at the Y, and then it just kind of got uh, was forgotten about. Lost in the annuals of history. Or, they, yep, yeah, exactly. One person leaves, and they take knowledge that we don't even know that they have. Exactly. That's absolutely amazing, though, and very serendipitous. Uh, you know, Indeed. with this trunk, once you pop that open, was that step one? Was that the first place where you really learned a lot, or or were there other sources like the Wyoming Room? Uh, there was, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't there for the trunk was discovered, but what was found in the trunk was so fundamental and rudimentary to helping me understand Mr. Whitney and his actions, like his diaries and all wow. his travel stubs, and sort of these cryptic notes and these little diagrams he'd write in the back of envelopes because he was so frugal. You know, he, he, he said, I'm in 1917, I'm going to sell these seven ranches, which was, couldn't have been a better time to do it. Um, but, so, but it took me a while to figure all that out. Again, you sort of have to be a cryptologist. For yeah, Mr. you really got to yeah. sit down and try to figure out where did this number come from and what is it linked to. Right. It's absolutely fascinating. All right. Uh, more with the president of the Whitney Benefits Board and... Edward A. Whitney's biographer. When we return, this is Public Pulse on 930K, are we? And 103.9 FM, Sheridan. First Federal Bank and Trust would like to recognize another winner of $1,000 cash and a $1,000 marketing donation match from Sheridan Media. As part of their community commitment, the Sheridan Rotary Club is receiving these funds 
per random drawing. Could your organization be next? We're giving $1,000 to a qualified nonprofit organization every week. Visit our website, efirstfederal.bank, for details. First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media present Community Commitment. Member FDIC. Time for new tires? Your timing couldn't be better because Midas is rolling out the best deals on top-rated tires. Buy three, get one free with installation on Cooper and Hankook tires and up to a $100 mail-in rebate. Midas also has big savings on brakes, shocks, fluid flush, even save 20 bucks on an oil change. Check out the Midas ad in the Country Bounty for details. Roll into Midas before the end of the month for these big savings. Midas Tire and Auto on East Brundage Lane in Sheridan. Caring for the community's health is a team effort. In Sheridan, we are fortunate to have a wide array of exceptionally trained doctors specializing in over 25 areas of expertise. Each year, Sheridan Memorial Hospital recognizes these outstanding professionals on National Doctors' Day, celebrated on March 30th. The board and staff thank all of our doctors for their commitment and service to our community. Please join us in thanking them for providing medical excellence right here at home. This is Ken here at Prime Rate Motors. We understand everybody's situation is different. Not everyone that comes to Prime Rate Motors is looking for a new vehicle. We also sell and install GR brand flatbed conversions and Krogman bale feeders. Looking for a trailer? We offer a complete line of GR, Wilson, Merritt, flatbeds, stock trailers, even tandem axle enclosed cargo trailers. Stop in, let's work something out. Here at Prime Rate Motors, the Super Trailer Store, or PrimeRateMotors.com. Novus Autoglass does more than just chip and windshield replacement. Hi, this is Cindy, and here at Novus Autoglass, we can replace window regulators, door glass, back glass, and many more other options. Big or small, we can fix them all. Novus Autoglass can also service and recalibrate lane departure and other safety systems. Stop in or call today to make an appointment. Novus Autoglass, 347 North Main, 672-0139. Download your favorite Share to Media radio station app to your smartphone. It's easy, and you can listen to your favorite station anytime and any place right from your phone. Type in sharetomedia.com forward slash app. Choose the station you want to download, select install, wait for the app to download. Listen to your favorite Share to Media radio station anywhere, any place, anytime. Sharetomedia.com forward slash app. Sharetomedia.com forward slash app. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. This morning, I am speaking with the president of the Whitney Benefits Board, Roy Garber, and the author of The History of Whitney Benefits and Solace in Numbers, the biography of Edward A. Whitney, Mr. Sam Western. In the first part of the show, we learned a little bit about Mr. Western's writing process and uh, how he was able to finish these two great books. Now let's learn a little bit more about Edward A. Whitney, the man. Uh, Mr. Western, where was Mr. Whitney born? Whitney was born in, we think, 1843 in Dalton, Massachusetts, uh, to a a prosperous but quite uh, a mercantile family. Um, and, uh, again, is, he was very cryptic about his family his whole life. Uh, but he, his, uh, he ended up 
going to boarding school in Switzerland when he was 14. Uh, became, I'm convinced, probably fluent in French. Uh, and it f- was very formative for him. Um, and he was accepted to a French Academy of Mineralogy, but there's no uh, evidence that he ever uh, went there. Um, and then he came back and worked for his uncle Josiah in a bank in um, Western Massachusetts. It sounds like he would have been well suited to work in a bank. He was. They kind of haven't. Did he develop his frugalness there? Or from what you can tell, that was already kind of part of him. I, I think that for the listener, there's two parts about Mr. Whitney. You understand that he was frugal. He had sort of this accountant actuarial mind. Um, and he saved a lot of stuff, but he was also a risk taker. I mean, he would speculate on land. Uh, you know, that was probably his secret was he manages money, but he was not afraid of risk. And I mean, basically it's through that platform that he gained his fortune because he was a careful guy, but sometimes not that careful. Yeah. Sometimes calculated he big risk. leaps. Yep. And, uh, and, and that's how he developed his money. He wasn't born into money. He was born. There, there was no evidence that he was left with any major. I mean, there was a story that he was left with a fortune, but I was unable to find any evidence. He had one living sibling, uh, a brother, John, uh, who ran a bookstore in Cambridge, Mass, and his total worth was $5,000 in 1914. Uh, that's, yeah, I just had a hard time thinking that he'd come into any major fortune. Yeah, with only $5,000. Right. Yeah, that yeah. seems a little odd. I think everyone would have ended up getting a little slice of that. Yeah. Now, um, let's let's talk about the, the coal settlement. Right. Well, what is this, and, and how how does this affect Whitney Benefits in the future? Well, it actually was, it's what has defined Whitney Benefits. It was a defining event in our history. And basically uh, what occurred, Mr. Whitney had a piece of land out in the uh, Tongue River Valley area, and he sold the ranch, but he saved the mineral rights. And uh, so then uh, many years later, uh, the board decided that they should uh, see if they get a contract when coal mining came on. And so they uh, went and leased that coal. Uh, to Peter Kewin's sons to be mined. But before it could be mined, the federal government came in and said, you can't mine in an alluvial valley. So the contract had already been signed. And so the Whitney board set about basically saying, hey, we've had something taken from us of value. And so they began a very long and protracted battle with the United States government to uh, be compensated for that coal. And uh, Sam can talk about it. It was a battle that lasted 23 years. Wow. Uh, and I have to give the board credit. Uh, Henry Burgess was the architect for how they went about it. He was a board member. Uh, but he had a board of 12 backing him up, uh, which it uh, you have to give them credit for the fortitude and perseverance they had. It was David against Goliath. It took 23 years, seven lawsuits. They lost five of those hearings, but they won the two that counted. And wow. that's where the fortune came from. So Sam, is, that was part of the reason for writing the books. He uh, has laid that story out, and he's a good one to tell it. Mr. Western, yes. spines of iron, huh? Spines of iron. And you just kind of remember that, you know, Whitney Benefits, before this coal settlement, just had a, a modest corpus. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. It was, it was, it was very modest. And, of course, all the interest was going to uh, – give interest-free loans to students. And, you know, then this lawsuit comes along and they just persevere. 
And the legal bills. Ooh. 26 I mean, years? Yeah. I mean, wow. they 23. Were, yeah, 23 they, years. They were in Washington. They were represented at the various courts by Hogan and Hartson. Uh, and, you know, there were these bills for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month. You know, and the board had to write the check for this. But that and, was another thing that Mr. Burgess insisted on, that the board pay as they go because he didn't want a contingency fee in the end. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that bill hanging over your head right. if you lose. Right. Right. Was there any moment where, and I don't know who, who handled this, uh, where the judge finally just said, this is the, this is the moment, gavel down, the, the fight is over? Uh, there, there wasn't, yes, yes, there was a moment, and, and his name was Lauren A. Smith, and he was the chief judge at the Federal uh, Court of Claims, which were all takings, and uh, takings cases are brought before him. And uh, he's a very deliberate man, known for his glacial decision. It takes a long time to make a decision. Uh, but uh, he made a decision, and it was immediately appealed. And he he wasn't having much truck with the Justice Department's appeal. He felt he'd done his homework. He felt that Whitney and Hogan and Hartz had presented their case. And uh, no, it was just you wanted to hold your breath because they would file an appeal and no, and they said, well, we're going to take it to a different court. But when the, so they said, we're going to take it to the Supreme Court, of course, the Justice Department. And when the Supreme Court denied cert, certiorari, which means we're not hearing the case, that's when you knew the rubber had just hit the road. You could hear the gasps coming from the Justice Department. Wow. Yeah. And so what ultimately did that settlement really give to Whitney benefits, Roy. Well, basically sixty-five million dollars. Who? Wow. The total settlement was uh, two hundred some million, uh, but yes, we received sixty-five million dollars in the end. And what year did, was this? Uh, that was nineteen ninety-five, I believe. Wow. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, this—the benefits had been waiting for this money for how long? Well, 20-some years. 20-some 20, 20 years. The, the other interesting part was if the government would have just settled it uh, early on, it would have been a fraction of the money because I believe that there was only about 140 million tons of coal, and if it would have been mined as planned, Whitney probably would have only received 10 to $15 million for that. Um, but uh, they tried to I got to laugh at the irony of that. Well, <laughs> that's just, yeah. yeah. That's just, uh Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what to comment on that. They, this being tied up in court, uh, I mean, well over doubled that money. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and there was a knockdown drag out whether the interest that was yeah. gathered on the, on the award was going to be simple or compound. And that made a very significant difference in the number of zeros at the end of the number. Yeah. And Lauren A. Smith said, no, it's going to be compound much to the Justice Department's chagrin. <laughs> I would imagine there was a lot of chagrin right. in that department at that right. time. Uh, gentlemen, I'm running out of time, but there is uh, the history of Whitney benefits and the solace in numbers, the biography of Edward A. Whitney by Sam Western, is available for purchase, correct? Yes, uh, you can purchase it in several places, or you, I think you can go over to the library, and they'll give you copies. That's fantastic. Two beautiful books. Um, stop by our office, and we'll give you a couple copies. Now, uh, real quick, Mr. Western, if there was one thing you would want wit uh, listeners to know 
about Mr. Whitney, what would that one thing be? Again, I would say is a combination of his careful stewardship of his money and yet his willingness to take risks. I mean, he bought a lot of land before the railroad came here in 1892, so he was a risk taker. And the second thing was he was an eccentric, but I think in his core of core, he so believed in the idea of stewardship. And he said, he famously said, this money isn't mine. Yeah. It's the communities. And uh, what a remarkable attribute to have. And, you know, and also the fact that it, he did leave it uh, and that I think Whitney benefits, it, it has changed this community. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, m absolutely for the better. You know, we would be a different place without Whitney benefits and what they've done. And the, the, you know, the basic foundation of that wealth was Mr. Whitney. And I think, uh, you know, everything that he asked for uh, when he passed has been met tenfold. And I think he would be very proud. And, and that credit goes to the stewards right. on that board. Yeah, and, I think that's a very true statement. And I think one of the things that we're proud of at Whitney is we have retained the, his wishes of his will. Uh, many foundations across the United States have been drastically altered because of time changes. But uh, we have remained, all the board members previous and current are holding to the tenets of that will. And we're very proud of that. A great man who has done some great things and, and due to the way he laid it out, continues to do yes. great things. Uh, Mr. Garver, Mr. Western, thank you both so much for braving the weather to come out here and be with me. Pleasure. It was fun. Appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back, we're going to speak with VA orthopedic physician's assistant, Jeremy Burkett. Stay with us. This is Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared. First Federal Bank and Trust would like to recognize another winner of $1,000 cash and a $1,000 marketing donation match from Sheridan Media. As part of their community commitment, the Sheridan Rotary Club is receiving these funds per random drawing. Could your organization be next? We're giving $1,000 to a qualified nonprofit organization every week. Visit our website, efirstfederal.bank, for details. First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media present Community Commitment, member FDIC. Face it, you don't want to do your own plumbing and heating work or repair. You need a professional, and that is exactly what you will get if you work with RAP Plumbing and Heating. Being fully licensed, bonded, and insured, you can rest assured that they will take care of your repairs and maintenance in the very best way possible. Call RAP Plumbing and Heating at 429-1196 and rest easy knowing it'll be done right. This is Dan Rapp with RAP Plumbing and Heating. And as we like to say, if you find a leak, let me take a peek. Dreaming of green grass, sunny days, and long drives right down the middle of the fairway? Well, so are we. It's time to get ready for the 2023 golf season at Kendrick Golf Course. Rates are still extremely reasonable, making Kendrick Sheridan's best golf value. Take advantage of their preseason discounts and save even more. Discounted Pass is now on sale at City Hall or online at SheridanWY.gov through March 31st. The snow will be gone. The grass will be greening up before we know it. So don't miss out. Play golf this season at Kendrick Golf Course. This is Dan Marshall with Captain Clean. While dirty ductwork and carpet doesn't necessarily mean unhealthy air in your home, school, or workplace, they may be contributing to larger health issues or harboring contaminants that could cause serious problems for people with respiratory health conditions, autoimmune disorders, or environmental allergies. Call Captain Clean today for your free HVAC and free carpet cleaning estimate. 
It's 100% free. Dapped and clean, 672-0726. Affordable choices for healthy living. Have you driven by the lot of Waring Sheridan Chevrolet? The change in ownership has opened up a flood of new and used inventory. Waring Chevrolet is busting at the seams in new and used cars, trucks, SUVs of all makes and models. Inventory is back on the lot and arriving weekly. Best of all, same great sales, service, parts, and body shop team is there. New ownership, same great team. Unbelievable inventory. Wearing Sheridan Chevrolet. 107 East Alger, open Monday through Friday, 730 to 530, Saturdays till 4. Your locally owned McDonald's is looking for a general manager, owner, Larry Storrow. Bob, as general manager, you will be responsible for helping lead as well as hire and develop all employees. You will work with the management team to set goals and create a plan to achieve these goals. A background in quick service restaurants is strongly desired or experience in hospitality or retail. You will help guide the entire operation for success. Apply for this general manager position online at mchire.com. That's mchire.com. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. For the second part of our show this snowy morning, I am joined by VA orthopedic physician's assistant, Jeremy Burkett, and VA public affairs and congressional liaison officer, Christina Miller. Good morning and thank you for braving the weather to come up on the hill and be with me today. It was a bit harrowing. <laughs> yes. Good morning, Floyd. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Uh, welcome back to the show. Now, orthopedics, um, something I don't know a lot about. Uh, uh, knock on wood, never broke a bone in my life, but uh, uh, we'll talk about some of the injuries I have here in a little bit <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> and, and how we can help them. Uh, now, for those who may not know, sir, what is orthopedics? So orthopedics is uh, the study, or well, the treatment of musculoskeletal injuries. So that's bones, muscles, tendons. Um, you know, we're the popular folks to see for arthritis or uh, tendonitis, bursitis, those types of things. Osteoporosis. Yeah, we. Uh, it's funny. So orthopedics had a big movement about five, ten years ago called Own the Bone. So it had been primarily rheumatologists that were treating osteoporosis for a long time, that in the primary cares. And we said, no, we're going to take it back. <laughs> and uh, sort of, kind of. In a way, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's ours, dang it. All and right. for anyone out there who's not aware, osteoporosis is when the bone gets demineralized. So your bones are made primarily of calcium and people who have calcium and vitamin D deficiency tend to get softer bones as they get older, especially... Uh, ladies. So like I said, primarily primary cares had been managing that through supplements, but we definitely will see it and, and make recommendations as needed. Wow. You know, I'm showing my ignorance here, but uh, vitamin D as well, not just calcium. So vitamin D is huge. And that's actually a, a good point here in Wyoming because we're coming out of the winter in Wyoming. And I guarantee you every single one of us is vitamin D deficient right now. I've been taking pills in the morning. Yeah. So my first year here in Wyoming, and I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, so I'm used to winters. But um, my first year here in Wyoming, I was taking 2000 international units. That's the basic uh, dosage for vitamin D. Took that throughout the winter. In the spring, I had my labs drawn. I was still vitamin D deficient. Wow, really? So now I've bumped myself up to 4,000 a day throughout the winter. And uh, so the reason vitamin D is important, especially when you talk about osteoporosis and some other things, 
is vitamin D allows your bo- your bones to take the calcium in. Otherwise, you can eat all the calcium you want. It doesn't necessarily get put back into your bones where it needs to go. Fascinating, and that is fantastic information for our listeners because that is something I didn't know. You know, I thought, well, we, t- we take your calcium and everything's going to be okay. You won't develop that later on in life, but that's not true. You also have to have that vitamin D. Right. And it was the VA, a doctor up at the VA years ago, who told me, Floyd, you're deficient on vitamin D, but I don't want you to get worried about it. Here in Wyoming, we all are. We all are. It's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Uh, and so I, I, that's when I started taking my vitamin D supplements. But now listening to your story, I'm going to have to bump up my uh, the amount that I take. Because like you, I only took two. Mm-hmm. But uh, to know that, I, I might want to bump that up. And folks, if you're listening, maybe maybe you might want to bump that up talk, as well. Talk to your doctor first. Yeah, yeah. Your talk provider. to your doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. Have your labs drawn, see where you're at. See uh, just exactly where you're falling into there. Now, you say you grew up in Buffalo, uh, New York. What brought you all the way out here? Oh, I've been all over the country. So uh, like you, I'm also a veteran and grew up in Buffalo, joined the Navy, was out in San Diego for a long time. Uh, tried to go back to Buffalo and decided that after being in Southern California, I couldn't handle the winters in my <laughs> younger days. So then I uh, went back out to L.A. Um, and so I've, I've been in the VA. This is my fourth VA. I, I worked for the San Diego VA after I got out of the military. I worked at the Loma Linda VA. I'm sorry, this, the Los Angeles VA. I moved to Birmingham, Alabama, where I started more education, went up to Boston where I did my master's program and then came back out uh, to Southern California when I thought I was going to like the weather better and worked at the Loma Linda VA there. And then I started farming. So I had had already started farming, but then my daughter and I decided we needed more room to farm. So we came out to (laughs) Wyoming, which is perfect for us. We love Wyoming. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is. Now, uh, why study medicine? What what led you down that path to begin with? That's a great question. So I uh, had some some family members, some older family members when I was younger, and I was the oldest grandson, and they had issues, especially actually musculoskeletal issues from car wrecks and things like that. And I just always enjoyed helping and taking care of them. Uh, when I was 17, I started working in the local hospital in the kitchen. And then as soon as I turned 18, I became an orderly. And I just went on from there. I I always had a tendency towards medicine and and learning what makes the human body tick, learning all these interesting things that kind of challenged my own preconceived notions about how the body works and how medicine works. So um, I went all throughout in medicine, except for my time in the Navy. I wanted to be a corpsman and the recruiter gave me a real nice song and dance and said, we're going to do the semen apprenticeship program. And I fell for it. <laughs> so uh, I was a bosun mate for my time in the Navy, but I don't regret it. It was great. Yeah. Uh, it, we all fell for something, didn't we? <laughs> you know, and, and throughout this uh, journey through medicine, you decided that uh, orthopedics uh, was going to be your specialty. Mm. What led you down that path? Was it the injuries from that you saw the older individuals in your youth? I think that was part of it, but I think a really big part of it was I, I'm an instant gratification kind of guy, right? So let's say in PA school, the other male PAs in my class mostly wanted to gravitate towards emergency medicine for the rush. Right, right. I never really liked the ER because you don't get any good follow-up on these folks, right? So in the ER, they either go upstairs, they go home, 
or they go downstairs. Yeah. Um, in orthopedics, it's broke. I fix it. I know it's fixed, and I know the person has a better quality of life. So I get to follow them straight through their their issue, whatever that musculoskeletal issue is, and I know that I can eventually get them to the point where they're going to have a better quality of life for having had that treatment. That's fascinating to hear because, you know, I, I've got some friends who went into medicine uh, after serving, and sure enough, you know, emergency room work it seemed like the, the, the top that they wanted to get to. Uh, a lot of them became EMTs, paramedics, things like that. Uh, but you are right. There is no follow-through and, and no, say, like, aftercare uh, or anything like that. It's kind of there on the spot and absolutely vital, saving a life, and then boom, on to the next one. Boom, on to the next one. You know, with, with yours, it's more of a care, mm-hmm. uh, long-term care. Uh, fascinating and fantastic reason. Uh, and you say that uh, you came here to Wyoming to start a little farm with your daughter. Uh, and, and so did you just naturally end up at the VA or was that all part of the moving process? So I always end up back at the VA because I like taking care of the brothers. You know, yep. um, I communicate with my veterans in a way that you and I understand that a non-veteran doesn't always get that same uh, level of communication, I guess, that we have. Yeah. Um, so I've always gravitated towards the VA mostly because of that, because I know I can make a difference. They tend to uh, hear what I say, I think, a little bit more than a person who is not a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to bring it to that level and, and make it relevant for them so that they know where they stand with what's going on and what we can do to move forward. Also, you know, again, another fantastic point. <clears throat> uh, no offense to anyone who hasn't served, but there is a level of understanding mm-hmm. and, and communication that uh, is, is hard to explain, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it? But it's there, and, and maybe it's just something that is, is in our DNA for the rest of our lives, you know? And, uh, I, you know, I would actually venture to say, too, that um, that connection also makes it easier to hear the advice that that professionals give because yep. we're not always all good at taking care of ourselves and hearing it from a fellow veteran who's like, hey, I'm not blowing smoke. <laughs> this is this is important. You really need to do this. And I think that um, that is important. Excellent point, uh, because you're right. You know, if I was standing there and I had, uh, you know, a nurse or a medic, uh, well, to this day, I still call my medics mm-hmm. and say, hey, this hurts. How do I stop it from hurting? And these medics who probably haven't even served for close to a decade are still the ones who are giving me my medical advice. You know, hey, make sure you're taking care of this and that. And uh, I appreciate them for that every day. And the physician assistant um, career was actually started by a bunch of guys coming back from the war. And Dr. Stead out of Duke, Duke University there was a doctor's shortage on the horizon. And he said, you know, we've got all these medics and corpsmen that are coming out of the military that aren't allowed to practice to that level here in civilian society, but they have all this great battlefield knowledge. I bet we can take them and train them up a lot faster than we could someone else in medical school and get them out there and practicing. And so that's how the PA profession came about. Absolutely fascinating. We've been around for over 50 years now. That is amazing. I did not know that. I I love it coming to work and learning something every day. Now, you say that the the orthopedic service 
at the Sheridan VA is somewhat new. How long how long has this been going on? So I've been here for a year and myself and the uh, associate director of the VA, Scott Morey, had been in talks almost two years ago now to develop this. Um, like I said, I've worked in orthopedics at several different VAs and I came here and I saw that there was no orthopedic service here. Uh, so I reached out and I said, look, I can see orthopedic patients. Now, granted, I don't do surgery myself, um, but most orthopedic problems can actually be treated very well conservatively. So let's start an orthopedic service. Let me get in there, diagnose these guys, get them treated when I can. And, and when a person needs surgery, I can still get them either out into the community or down to Cheyenne or one of the other VAs that has orthopedic services. But, uh, you know, a lot of the time they don't need to see a surgeon right off the bat. You know, most people do very well with conservative treatment for a variety of things. So until I came on board, closest orthopedic services within the VA were Fort Meade, Cheyenne, and Billings. So now I'm seeing patients here in Sheridan, primarily in Gillette, where I'm home-based out of. I go to Casper, and I do visits online, you know, on uh, telephone and video chat. Oh, that's fascinating. So you can actually do uh, part of your job, like a lot of follow-up uh, over uh, telecommunications. Mm -hmm. So I go in and I see you. You take a look at me. You're like, okay, this is our issue. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to start this kind of therapy. Is it like a physical therapy? Frequently, physical therapy is involved. There's a lot of different conservative treatments. You know, sometimes it's just the old anti-inflammatories that all us vets know very well. <laughs> Although so I, I, well. Don't, I don't advocate it quite the same way that the military did. Um, I, and I explain that to my vets when we see them. But, yeah, anti-inflammatories, physical therapy, I do injections sometimes when that's appropriate. Um, sometimes it's just kind of learning a little bit more about how to use your body doing certain things, what maybe you shouldn't do. Sometimes it's bracing or casting if there's a fracture. Um, you know, so a lot of conservative things like that. And then eventually if those things aren't getting it or, or stop working, well, then we might be talking about a surgical issue. But, um, you know, we, we cross that bridge when we come to it. And a lot of folks don't want to just jump into surgery. They yeah. have their life to do. And <laughs> surgery, there's significant recovery after a surgery that can take people out of doing what they love to do. And we try to get them through to a place where they're a little bit more prepared for that. Now, I will admit I am one of those individuals. Surgery should be the absolute last option. Mm -hmm. um, you know, physical therapy takes a little bit of work. Yes, I might have to fight through some pain, stretch through some pain, maybe even run through some pain. But uh, I'm willing to do that before I have to go underneath the knife. So I can tell you from a veteran to a veteran, I appreciate that approach that we don't just say, here's some anti-inflammatories till I can get you in. And then we're going to cut that open and we're going to fix it that way. Mm -hmm. I, I think a little bit of hard work and, you know, grit in the old teeth a little bit uh, is, is beneficial in the long run. And even before I send someone to physical therapy, I always do what I can to try and mitigate some of that pain and kind of yeah. set up the expectation of how it's going to feel as they go and how it's going to get better over time as, you know, certain things get strengthened and brought back into uh, a balance, if you will. In your time, um, have you noticed particular injuries uh, linked to particular MOSs? Uh, now, now here I've got written just because it's something that we were warned about in basic training. I was a 12 Charlie, uh, 12 Chucks. 
uh, notorious for developing back pain. Uh, and that's because we're bridge builders, and a lot of the bridges that we use were handmade mm. as opposed to, you know, having machine assistance. So those came later, and, and boy, did we appreciate them. But, you know, when I joined, we were packing these pieces of bridges by hand for you know, sometimes six individuals at a time. And so lifting was so important, uh, you know, lifting as a team, not with your back. But that being said, it was an old kind of a joke, but at the same time, not a joke. You can tell an old 12 Charlie by the way he walks. Mm. It's usually bent over and very slow, uh, you know, kind of shoots their back. Have you noticed other injuries somewhat like that linked? So I guess you could say that. But at the same time, especially here in Wyoming, a lot of people can appreciate this. You know, a rancher who never served, pretty likely to get some back pain. Same thing, right? yeah. And it's not that we're not strong. It's we're not necessarily balanced in the way we need to. So a lot of back pain is actually non-surgical. A lot of back pain is the core muscles that hold your spine stable and erect aren't quite doing their job. And they're farming out the work to other muscles in your back. So then those other muscles eventually say, that's it, I'm going on strike. This isn't my job. And you get a really bad muscle spasm, right? And that can throw you out for several days sometimes. So it's more about targeting the correct muscles. And like I said, it's not that we're not strong, it's that we're not balanced and we're not targeting certain muscle groups in the right way. To that, you know, back pain is a big one. Another big one in our society today is shoulder pain. There's a lot of shoulder pain that's more of an imbalance, not necessarily a rotator cuff tear or anything like that. But if the rotator cuff isn't doing its job and your arm rides a little high in the socket, then there's a thing called impingement where you're constantly banging that rotator cuff and the bursa underneath between the, I'm going to call it the roof bone for the audience, right? So if you tap on your shoulder, like you got a little angel on your shoulder, that's the acromion. And then the humerus is that long bone that's the top part of your arm. When you come up overhead, if that rotator cuff isn't doing its job, you're going to bang that tendon and that bursa between the two over and over again till it gets really inflamed and irritated. So those are the types of things that weren't... I, I've seen guys that are bodybuilders that still can get impingement. So it's just targeting the correct muscle groups. You know, a lot of knee pain can be the same way. So that's why physical therapy does play a large role in a lot of the treatment that I offer. But... I got one yeah. minute left. Oh, if, sorry, sorry. No, no, please. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, if, if someone wanted to get in to see you, mm -hmm. how do they do it? So all they got to do is call the, talk to their primary care at the VA uh, or call their primary care at the VA. Tell them I have a musculoskeletal complaint and I'd like to see orthopedics in the VA. Their primary care doctor will usually just get a plain x-ray of whatever the joint is that's affected and they'll send me a consultation. I will accept that consultation and get them in as, as quickly as I can, frequently faster than they can get in the community. Oh, that's it's fantastic to hear that. Now, Jeremy, Christina, thank you both so much for coming in. Thank you. And thank you for braving the weather to be here with me today. I My appreciate pleasure. that. All right, you've been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared.
First Federal Bank and Trust would like to recognize another winner of $1,000 cash and a $1,000 marketing donation match from Sheridan Media. As part of their community commitment, the Sheridan Rotary Club is receiving these funds her random drawing. Could your organization be next? We're giving $1,000 to a qualified nonprofit organization every week. Visit our website, efirstfederal.bank, for details. First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media present Community Commitment. Member FDIC. If you're looking for bulls raised with the commercial rancher in mind, attend the Elk Angus Bull Sale Tuesday, March 21st at the ranch south of Buffalo. Selling are over 40 range-ready bulls raised in the rocks and sagebrush at the base of the Bighorns. If you're looking for bulls that make problem-free cattle, with longevity, fertility, and performance, visit Elk Angus Ranch March 21st for the annual bull sale. Sale time is 1 o'clock sharp, also carried live on DV Auction. For more information, including catalog and videos, visit elkangus.com. Our paint department is stocked up and ready to go. Hi, Kurt Smith here for the Sheridan Commercial Company. We're excited to help you with your next painting project. We have added the PPG line of paints along with our True Value paint line. This allows you so many new and exciting options for your next project. Whether you need help with customized color matching or choosing the right product, we're here to help. Great paint, great store. The Sheridan Commercial Company at 303 Broadway. Open seven days a week. Did your late aunt leave you with her home in her will and all 30 cats that have been living there for years and now you don't know what to do with the cat house? Bio-renovation can take it off your hands. The house, not the cats. No matter how bad it may be or what smells may be emanating from it, Bio-renovation will come out, take a look, and make you an offer. Face it, you're not going to sell it any other way. Contact Bio-renovation today. Find them on Facebook or at Bio-renovation.com. I'm here today with Candace Crane from Sheridan Honda and Power Sports. Tommy, hi. Can you believe it's been a year that we've been talking about Sheridan Honda and Power Sports? Wow, a year. Went by fast. Agree. And in honor of our one-year anniversary, we're offering a two-for-one special on service. Get your Power Sport and vehicle service at the same time, and we'll give you 15% off the total bill. Does it have to be a Honda or Can-Am? Nope. Our skilled technicians can service all makes and models. Call Manny or Kayla to get scheduled today. For 15% off your service, call Sheridan Honda and Power Sports today. Frackleton's Fine Food and Spirits brings you this historic moment as told by Dr. Will Frackleton. About the time he created the first reenactment of the big fight at the Little Bighorn. He hired actual Native Americans and used actual cavalry from Sheridan's National Guard. Well, when that bugle sounded, the charge, the Native Americans and the real soldiers got right into the fight for real. In the end, Dr. Frackleton had to buy the reservation several steers and announce the chief to be the winner. 